to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard. The 20. Down the middle. The 10. The 5. He slides at the 1. And they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man! And the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying, Why, oh why, is this taking place in a Super Bowl? This is High Motor by BetMGM, Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty. After the Super Bowl, this post-Super Bowl episode of High Motor by BetMGM, another Super Bowl in which the spread does not come into play. The total also did not come close to being in play. The overlooked possible, I want to say it was in the third quarter for a little bit, uh, but that did not last long, and the under was firm for quite a while. Judging from your pregame text, you texted me, I don't know, a couple hours before the game, when that total dropped another point, I think it ended up settling at 55 you felt pretty good about it, it seemed like. You did the last two weeks. I mean, you, you pumped that pretty good the last two weeks on the show and off air, but especially with that final drop, the book kind of enticing some over bets. You seemed pretty pleased with that and felt good about going into the game. Yeah, I think the the bet that I pushed the most over the last two weeks was the under. I felt great about the under. Uh, in terms of the actual game bets, like the sides and the totals and stuff, that was my biggest bet was the under. Uh, and then when the number comes down on game day to 55, I felt, I texted you, I felt great about it because the, the amount of professional money, by the time you hit Super Bowl game day, the amount of money it probably takes to move the total a full point or point and a half is pretty massive. So yeah, I felt great about it because I knew the pros were coming in on my side. I pulled up the numbers right before we hopped on the, the ticket and handle breakdown. So 57% of the handle Remained on the over, 62% of the tickets uh, were on the over, and then 60% of the tickets for the Chiefs, for the spread were on the Chiefs, 54% on the Chiefs. That was a fascinating one to watch. We talked about this uh, the first episode after AFC Championship games. That handle started 80% Chiefs, dropped down and dropped down gradually over the next seven, eight, nine days to the point where the Bucks were actually getting a higher percentage of the handle. The ticket share was always on the Chiefs, you know, somewhere between 60 and 75, 76%. But that handle dropped from 80% Chiefs down to, I think, the Bucks topped out at 52%. That kind of gradually came up over the last 36, 48 hours before the game. Chiefs were about a 50, 50, 51, 52. That settled at 54%. Um, one thing I want to ask you about this game, we're going to get to takeaways and stuff too, but the thing that's been on my mind the most over the last, I don't know, what are we, 20 hours removed from the game, is that I didn't see that coming. I don't think you saw that game coming. I don't think most people saw that game coming. I think there were a lot of people, and there were some pretty big bets, um, but not even betting-wise. I don't think there were that many people that understood what was going to happen in that game. Even if you were on the Bucks, even if you were fully aware of what the Bucks edge rushers could do, what the pressure could do, what Todd Bowles could do to a team that was missing two offensive tackles and get Patrick Mahomes on the move that much. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I mean, judging on the volume, I don't have the handle and tickets pulled up in front of me, 
for the number of people that bet the under on 0.5, or I guess just under 0.5 Chiefs touchdowns in that game, or under 0.5 Patrick Mahomes touchdowns in that game. I glanced at him uh, last night, but I, I can't remember what the numbers were on that. People did not see that coming. Because of that, do you think that I owe the Bucks an apology? Because over the last two weeks, I talked pretty significantly about I'm just waiting for the Bucks to do something to impress me. The Packers game did not impress me that much. They have not impressed me that much throughout this entire season. I couldn't point to a game all season in which I saw the Bucks and said, that is a team that could even just beat the Chiefs, let alone smash the Chiefs. Because it was so much of an outlier game, do you feel like I need to apologize for that? Because I I don't want to say I crapped on the Bucks for the last two weeks, but I was pretty harsh against them. Do you think that I owe them an apology? Do they deserve an apology for this? I don't know about apology. I think they deserve recognition. I, I don't know that anything we said was wrong, you know? I, I don't know that anything you said was wrong when we say, hey, like, what? where's the game where they... They went in and just stomped somebody. It wasn't given to them. They took it. They went and won it. I don't think we were necessarily wrong to say that. And so what we got in the Super Bowl was the Bucks going out and taking a game. And yeah, okay, talk about a couple PI calls that were questionable. Whatever, man. They won that game. Like they they just went out and won it. And I don't think they were in the, you know, I don't think Bruce Arians and Tom Brady are in the locker room pregame, like, hey guys. We got to go out there and show Chase and Andrew that uh, you know, we can we can win a game here. I don't think that happened or anything, so no, nobody misunderstand me. But like, that's what we said we wanted to see, and then we saw it. So like, all the credit where it's due. That kind of that kind of thing. I, I I feel good about what we said before the game, and I have no problem, you know, giving the the hat tip to the Bucks afterwards. And maybe this goes back to our mutual exclusivity conversation that we've referenced now. I think that was two weeks ago. We did that where. It is okay to, well, several things with this game. It is okay to say what you just mentioned, that before the game, what were we saying wrong? If you go back to that episode, I think we were extremely fair going into the Super Bowl. I think we specifically talked about this to two episodes last week, so the Monday and Thursday episode before the Super Bowl. Like you said, point to the game in which the Bucks looked like a team that could beat the Chiefs. We didn't know the Chiefs were going to do this, but at the same time, we can give the Bucks credit. We can talk about everything that we'll get to this in kind of our takeaways here in a little bit. We can talk about everything that the Chiefs did wrong and everything that the Bucks did right. But going into that game, I don't think anybody in the world could have predicted that game would go like that. I'm not sure how many tickets came in or how many people actually sat down and said they're going to win this game, not necessarily 31 to 9, but they're going to win this game by completely shutting down a Chiefs offense that looked lost. I don't know if it was an offensive tackle issue. I don't know if it was a play calling issue. I don't know if it was a hands issue. I don't know if the the questionable flag... Thank God those flags didn't come into play. Because I was on board with... I'm fine with the Twitter outrage. Those Some of those flags were extremely poor. But I was also... As much as I wanted a close game and enjoy an entertaining Super Bowl... I was so glad this game was not close because I don't want to watch a game like this and then go back and say, what if this happened? I think it's different. We talked about the Kevin King play with the Packers. That was a football play. That game wasn't... I thought that play pushed that game in one direction. It wasn't a flag that pushed that game in one direction. In this case, if this game would have been 31-28 and the Bucks would have won, I think it would have been extremely fair to say, did those flags give them the win? I don't want to be in a position to do that, even if it is the right call. So I was extremely happy that those 
flags did not come into play. Were you as outraged by them, or are you more of a just, hey, that's football, pick it up and move on? I mean, I thought they were bad. I, I thought, you know, when you got balls that are clearly uncatchable, especially kind of like we, you know, if you want to compare it to the Kevin King play, the the like tem- the the tenor of a game when you add an extra touchdown right before halftime, like it's suddenly very different. And, and so I, I I get why I think like butthurt Chiefs fans would come out and, and say like, you don't understand, like the game's totally different after that. That's true. But just too many things went wrong, man. If you're the Chiefs, you, you just too many mistakes, not good enough protection, way too common a theme throughout that game. You know, picks, balls bouncing the wrong way against you. Just wasn't your night. That happens. Mahomes is probably going to get another one at some point, maybe more than one more at some point. So I, I think the Chiefs will probably be back. But, you know, too many distractions, too many bad bad plays, bad protection, you know, bad throws scrambling around doing it's just way too many things went wrong for them to win that game and credit to the chief or credit to the bucks so it doesn't seem like that was my only question i wanted to ask you i literally have one note for this podcast it says bucks apology do we owe them one do they deserve one that's all i had on here so it seems like i don't owe them one they don't really deserve an apology they can scream about haters they can scream that nobody saw this coming that's fine they're right in most cases. That's all I have for this show. That's literally the only note I have, and I'm guessing you don't have a whole lot either. We do want to talk about takeaways, though, and I'm kind of glad I don't have any notes because after this game, I have, I have, I'm not a, like a big picture takeaway guy. You know, we'll talk about like college football playoff a lot, even like in week two or week three, because that's just fun to talk about the projections and the scenarios. But I don't like going to the big picture. I have zero big picture takeaways from this game. And for me, watching, I think I was like in the third or the fourth quarter of it, I was going back to our episode after that Clemson-Ohio State National Semifinal where we just came on the show and just said one team got their ass kicked. We can talk about why they got their ass kicked and break it down, but at the end of the day, this team just got their ass kicked and there's nothing more than Justin Fields played out of his mind. I'm not saying that there aren't like a bunch of elements to discuss within this game. And you can go on online and look at film breakdowns from guys that follow the, that follow the chiefs and follow the bucks and do film breakdowns. We can talk about why the Chiefs sucked and why the bucks were borderline flawless for most of that game. There's all kinds of that stuff, but I get sick of, and this feels like it happens every single year. I mean, it's, it makes sense because this is a super bowl. You have higher stakes. We're going to want to naturally make these, these big massive conclusions I don't want to buy into that because, as we said so many times with whatever sport you're watching, it's one game. I mean, this is one of, what, 19 games for the Chiefs, 20 games for the Bucks. to me. The stakes are higher, but it's still on the field. You're playing 60 minutes of 19 or 20 games. I mean, I think if these teams play 10 times, I still like the Chiefs to maybe split them, maybe win 6 out of 10 of those games. Like I have... I have no, I saw this a little bit. I don't re- want to react to it too much because it wasn't everywhere quite yet. Now, I was actually happy with the reactions from this game generally. I just have no interest in playing the the game of here's the blueprint for beating the Chiefs. It's it's speed and pass rush. Like, no shit, it's speed and pass rush. I mean, that having a pass rush has been the blueprint for winning in the NFL for, for what, like 30 years? Remember the Super, the the. Uh, Broncos Super Bowl, Von Miller back whatever that was seven or eight years ago, 
after that game, I think he won Super Bowl MVP. After that game, all we heard was this was this is the new blueprint to win in the NFL. It's the pass rush. It happened with Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly's system supposedly taking over the NFL. Remember when Colin Kaepernick and RG3 were supposedly changing the game with that option style of running? It, it seems like those type of things, even though we know it at the time, like did we really think that Chip Kelly's system was going to overtake the NFL, or are we just saying that? My, my point being on this, like we did, what was that, a month ago now, a month and a half ago with Clemson and Ohio State, I don't really have any takeaways here. I just want to say that the Chiefs got their ass kicked. And that's not taking anything away from the Bucs, like you've said. The Bucs played a borderline flawless game. But all I want to say here is that's what happened. They played well. The Chiefs got their ass kicked. There are plenty of reasons why, but I don't want to inflate those reasons. It seems like we were on the same page for the Clemson-Ohio State thing and just saying that Justin Fields played out of his mind. Clemson flat out got their ass kicked. That's what happened. We don't need to go too more, too much more into it. Are we on the same page here with just flat out saying this is what happened? The Chiefs got their ass kicked. We're definitely on the same page. The Chiefs got their ass kicked. I wonder. I think this is a topic for uh, is a bigger topic that we should get into it on a, on another podcast. Where did the Bucks' greatness come from this year? Uh, because I, I had to laugh la- uh, when I watched the trophy presentation, and who was a Goodell or whoever else was on the stage presenting the trophy says. To you know the the Bucks ownership, you're a great organization. You're you know, and I'm like they're not a great organization. What are you talking about? They hit lotto tickets this year. That's literally what they did. They hit lotto tickets. They're one of the worst organizations in the NFL. What are you talking about? They're a great organization. Uh, this did not happen because they're a great organization. They made a good hire for head coach, not a great hire, but a good hire who got the right pieces. They got I. The story of this Bucks Super Bowl to me is being in the right place at the right time to make the right personnel and coaching hires about 35 times in a row. I mean, the the number of times they they deserve credit for realizing, "Oh, we can go get this guy." But they went they go and get Arians after, you know, his exit in Arizona. They Get Bowles for defensive coordinator right after uh, he is, you know, kind of, I don't want to say toxic because it's it's not like he, you know, exited the Jets for something bad. He was just, you know, the, the Jets weren't good. The Jets haven't been good for a long time. So having the presence of mind to realize, hey, Bowles is a really strong coordinator. We just need to put him in the right position. He might even be a good head coach, just not with the Jets. Like, let's go grab him. He He can be a great DC for us. Hey, let's get Tom Brady. He's going to, you know, we we know psychologically what Brady wants. Uh we we know he, you know, he's been in a marriage for a long time. He just kind of wants to date now. Like he like we know how to go after him and get him. Hey, we can get one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Maybe one of the greatest, you know, professional athletes in North American sports and we can get him Kind of at a discount, like he'll take less money because that's what he does, which we don't talk about enough. Uh, they they already had some nice pieces on the roster before any of these guys show up. I mean, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, uh, Cameron Brait, like some of the offensive pieces they have. They have they add a Hall of Fame tight end in Gronkowski for a reasonable price. They go out and grab Antonio Brown for basically nothing. They are able to get uh, all these other pieces that are sort of cast offs. 
and uh, Sue. They got Fournette. They they have all these pieces under market value, and they're able to build this roster. Uh, that is, I thought, what Tampa did the best this year, and, and how they got themselves in this position is they have all these assets below market value for one reason or another, and that allows them to be in the position to go after the Super Bowl. I agree that I don't I don't disagree with anything you said. I agree that we need to talk more about the foundations of a team as opposed to this is now the blueprint on how to beat the Chiefs. I mean, just about everybody thought the Chiefs were the best team going into the playoffs, going into the Super Bowl, really going into the entire season over much of the last two or three years. And the Chiefs have been generally the consensus, as much as you can possibly be in the NFL, best team in the league. I don't want to do that. The This is the blueprint for winning. I think you have a really good point is that maybe we need to pull back a little bit and say this is the blueprint for building a roster. My only problem with that is, though, is this ever going to happen again? I mean, I don't, all of I, these... I don't think so. No, yeah, and that's, that's it... why it's not a trend. Is yeah, exactly. Is I mean, who? Maybe like Aaron Rodgers in a couple of years, he goes to. I I don't even know where. I have no. I just pick a team, the Broncos, and they're able to do it kind of what the Broncos did before with with Peyton. Like doing this, if if that were to happen a few years from now, then you would have Rodgers, Brady, and Peyton doing kind of similar things that the Peyton situation is extremely unique with the injury and the draft pick and luck and generational talent and all that crap though I'm not ready and I'm not saying that you're ready to do this yet I'm not ready to say that this is the blueprint for building a team I think that your points of all these players below market value is the best point that that we can make here in terms of how do you build a team that can get to this point this quickly I mean, you go back and look at the Bucks. I don't have like where they rank. You know, I love that where do they work different teams rank over the last X number of years in total wins. But before this year, I mean, it's seven, five, five, nine, six, two, four, seven, four, ten, three. I mean, they finished fourth. They finished in last place in the South in what eight of the last ten ish years. That so not despite only we, being the trendy team to secretly win the NFC South, I think eight of the last ten years. Right, right. I don't think we ever denied the talent that was on the Bucks roster. I mean, people knew going into the season who Devin White was and who Devin White could be and, and Shaq Barrett. We knew that. Like Jason Pierre Paul has been one of the I don't want to say one of the best edge rushers, but he's been one of the best edge better edge rushers and one of the better defensive ends for the better part of a decade now. Like, we knew what kind of talent they had on that roster. Everyone liked the Antoine Winfield pick. I mean, Jamal Dean has played pretty good throughout his career. We knew what kind of talent they had on this roster. I mean, you have arguably two of the top 10 probably receivers in the NFL in, in, uh, in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So nobody's even talking about they didn't have enough talent. It seems like they just hit the lottery that Tom Brady wanted to go there. There was a really good tweet. I, I hadn't thought, thought about this. And I still need to put more thought into if it's true or not. Somebody had just said that if Jameis Winston didn't throw 30 picks last year, if he had kind of had his his 20 touchdown, 14, 15 interception year, maybe he comes back this year. Or maybe there's an issue elsewhere and Tom Brady goes somewhere else. If something like that doesn't happen, so how many stars needed to align there? I didn't do a very good job of explaining that. How many stars needed to align here to create this foundation 
that I don't know if we're ever going to see this again. Not in this case. We might see it next year with the Bucks if all these guys come back. But the rarity of what we have here, and maybe that's why I, I didn't hadn't thought about this before, but I think it further emphasizes my point that I'm just not interested in talking about these huge takeaways, especially on the field, because what the Bucks did in going from a seven-win team that whose defense largely sucked last year to an 11-win team and a Super Bowl champion whose defense shut down one of the best offenses in NFL history, that seems so much like an anomaly, an anomaly that I don't, I don't even know how much. I want to break it down. I agree with you. You mentioned before we hop on the show here, I think we do need to dedicate maybe an entire episode to how the Bucks actually did this, how the Bucks built this foundation with their contracts. You said that the Tom Brady situation doesn't get talked about enough. It does not at all. Maybe we do need to dedicate an entire episode to this. I just don't know how much I want to say this is what the Bucks did, this is what other teams could do, because it's so much of an anomaly. Yeah, and I think I think in our conversation, we're gonna be in agreement on this. I think in the wider media landscape and maybe for sort of more casual fans, I think it's gonna be a totally different story. I think you're gonna see the narrative this off season and a lot of focus in, in maybe front offices or, or pressure from ownership groups is more of a, if we build it, they might come perspective. Like, Hey, the, you know, there, there's been a lot of focus the last 10 years on. If you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't matter. Find the quarterback first, make everything else work after that. And now I wonder because of how this Tampa team was built. I know they added some pieces after Tom Brady came, I know they added some pieces specifically because Tom Brady came after the fact. But I wonder now if some front offices are going to take the approach of let's build the entire team, let's have this awesome roster, and then let's put the quarterback in it at the 11th hour as the cherry on top of the Sunday, and poof, we're a Super Bowl contender. I, 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 I'm skeptical that that is a winning formula in the broader sense. Um, but I wonder if we're going to see some teams try to do that. I really hope that we're finally going to your Drake Bulldogs today, not they've come back to earth. Please tell me we're going to Des Moines. We are not going to any college basketball team. I'll tell you where we are going. We're going to Belgium. Mm. Well, we're going to Australia with a with a, at least a layover in Belgium, I, I guess is the better way to put it. Uh, my pick for this episode's segment is Elise Mertens. Uh, she is a women's tennis player. She is feeling it right now. She is pretty hot. She just won one of these little pre-Australian Open tune-up tournaments. Looked really good. Just cruised through that tournament. Three sets in the semifinals, but looked really, really strong. Now, going into the Australian Open tournament, she is seeded. She's not one of the top seeds. I had it open earlier. I think she's like 17, 15, something like that. Uh, so she is. She's not like right at the top of the uh, of the of the draw table, but she does have a pretty comfortable schedule. She is playing uh, sort of an un, unranked, an unseeded player, kind of a low ranking uh, tonight, Monday night. So you might have already missed the first opportunity to bet her in the first round, the round of 128 at the Australian Open. But I think I like her to win several games in this tournament. I like her coming out of her little pod. 
I like her. I mean, matchups matter a little bit, but I, I think you're going to have several opportunities to back Elise Mertens, the pride of Belgium, over the next couple of days. I would look at betting on her and maybe ride that streak, ride some decent odds uh, later into the Australian Open draw. I'm certain there is no other podcast, radio show, TV show, print, anything on the planet today, Monday, the day after the Super Bowl, talking about Super Bowl reactions, takeaways, Bucks, Chiefs, all that, and the Australian Open. The the women's Australian Open. You can't find that anywhere else. We're doing good stuff over here. The Chiefs. Super Bowl odds for next year, plus 600. Uh, those are 2022 Super Bowl futures on betmgm.com. Those have been available for a while now. We mentioned them briefly uh, two weeks ago after that Goff-Stafford deal. The Rams jumping up considerably. I think they were at plus 2,100, I want to say, before that deal. They're now up to plus 1,200. The Bucks, meanwhile, are third behind the Chiefs and the Packers. Chiefs 600, Packers 900. Bucks are at 1,000. Then you got Ravens, Bills, Rams, um, then below them, Niners, Saints, Seahawks, Browns, and some other teams. Uh, most of these teams, I looked at the numbers this morning, most of these teams have already received action by now. Uh, there's been some action on the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl next year. There have already been two $1,200 bets placed. So we're 12 months out. There was one $1,200 bet placed on the Chiefs, one $1,200 bet placed on the Bucks. You, sir, are extremely selective with your futures, you take them, uh, and you mentioned before the show that you take them more now, and you take them every year in various sports. Now you hit big on the Cubs a couple of years back. West Virginia football was a biggie for you uh, a couple of years back. You were holding that Rams NFC Championship bet that you had referenced going into that Rams Packers game. You usually hit them. Uh, like I said, you're extremely selective. Do you generally? Is there a general future strategy that you have for something? 8, 9, 10, 12 months out, no matter if you're picking a winner, no matter if you're picking a win total, or does it depend on each sport, each situation for you? Well, I think win totals and Super Bowls are, are a little bit different in how I approach them. Uh, with win totals, I try to find inefficiencies in the market, biases in the market. Uh, hey, like I'll give you a good example. I wasn't just holding a Rams uh, NFC Championship ticket, which I, I bought maybe two-thirds of the way through the season this year, halfway through the season, somewhere around there. Uh, I also had an over on the Rams win total. And the reason I did that was I felt like after the 2019 season, you know, the, you know, just to sort of recap the timeline here, the Rams go to the Super Bowl in 2018. They don't make the playoffs in 2019. But I thought they were still a pretty good team, and going into 2020, their win total was being undervalued because of what happened in 2019. I thought there was some value there. I thought there was uh, some bias being showed against them because they failed to make the playoffs in 2019, so I went in on it for that reason. So that's the sort of approach I take for win totals. For the Super Bowl future, I feel like it's a little different. My approach would be this. I have talked before about sort of the modern formula for the last 10, 12 years of teams that go to the Super Bowl. That formula generally includes a quarterback who is being paid less money than the market usually uh, sets for a quarterback for whatever reason, 
you that is going to allow for more of a middle class to operate on that team for you to have more playmakers, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. So I would start looking at teams that don't have like a fully max capped quarterback. So when you mentioned the Bengals, that was one of my first reactions was interesting because there's a lot of criticisms I can level at the Bengals. I think they're probably a little ways away, but one of the things I would like about them if I'm taking a position on them at uh, plus 8,000 is that Burrow's on his rookie contract, and so I know he's only making 500 grand or whatever it is. There's a lot of money out there for everybody else. So I would, uh, I, I think I would have to know the quarterback situation with the Colts, but I would be interested in that. I would need to take a look at uh, Baker's contract, but I think Cleveland is an interesting thought. Um, I would definitely be looking at the Bills and Josh Allen's contract. Yeah, that was what I wanted to ask you about because I knew I kind of had a feeling you might go here because you've talked a lot about you know the quarterback situation and how a, a team is actually made up to win the Super Bowl. The Bills are a little bit lower than I thought they would. I honestly thought they'd probably be tied with the Bucks here because I think the national profile of the Bills was built pretty well last year. Now we saw that with some of the line movement because of the quarterback situation and how much money they're saving to spend elsewhere. I haven't looked at their cap situation uh, for 2021. I mean, that's kind of a fool's errand because we don't even know what the cap situation will be like and where there could be room if it's going to actually drop 20 or 25, $30 million. But is 1200 enough value there for the bills even with that quarterback situation and Josh Allen making whatever he is making a year, you know, 12 grand or something. Yeah. At, at first blush, I would definitely look at taking a position on Buffalo at plus 1200. Uh, this might be the best place for value for them for quite some time, right? Cause as soon as the season starts next year and they are whipping up on the Patriots and the Jets and they are cruising through the AFC. They've got like a, I don't know, let's say they've got a 9-2 and two record going into week 12 or week 13 or whatever. Uh, they're not going to be plus 1,200. They're probably going to be worse odds than that. You're probably going to not have uh, as good of a payoff there. So I would probably want to wait and see what their draft looks like, what their free agency looks like. Like I, I don't I don't necessarily want to come right out of this season and take a position literally the day after the season ends on the Super Bowl. I don't necessarily want to do that. But at the same time, this might be your best opportunity for a good payoff with the Bills. They certainly follow that formula that I would be looking for for a Super Bowl future. So I would say right now, if you're making me take a ticket, Buffalo is the ticket. Serious question here. Serious. How do you feel about the Cardinals at 4,000? How do you feel about a lotto ticket on them? Is that too down ballot for you? It's not too down ballot for me because it 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 does follow that pattern that I like. I think the problem with the Cardinals is they might be like the fourth or fifth best team in the entire NFC, and they also might be the fourth best team in their division. It's just really hard to go in on the Cardinals when you look at how good the Rams are going to be, uh, now that they, you know, they've arguably addressed the weakest spot on the roster by adding Stafford. Uh, you know that Seattle's going to be a player. And San Francisco, when they 
get healthy next year. I mean, they basically had injury problems for all of this season. They're going to be a team that you don't want to mess with. The fact that they, he, I mean, the the way San Francisco plays against the Rams head to head, it just feels like San Francisco is probably going to win that division next year. And the Rams are going to be a five seed, but a five seed with a really good record. Um, I would have a tough time betting on the Cardinals simply because that division is so loaded. But you do have to like the value and the fact that Kyler kind of checks those rookie contract boxes that I like. Unless I'm just seeing it wrong, close look here, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. I believe that the West is the only the NFC West is the only division in which all four teams have four thousand odds or better. So you have the. Rams at 1,200, the Niners at 1,600, Seahawks at 22, and then down to the Cardinals at 4,000. So on Thursday, we're going to have some early NFL draft talk with Thor Nystrom of Roto World. I think he's one of the best in the business, so come back for that. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast app for an early draft primer. We're only two, two and a half months out until the draft. We're not sure what else will be on the docket for Thursday. If you have any mailbag questions, any futures questions, anything before March Madness, maybe. We have Selection Sunday coming up here in about four and a half weeks. Send them to at High Motor Pod on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. We'll get those for Thursday's episode. It's been fun here all football season with you guys. We have some things in store for the off season. We're going to have a lot more guests on the show, probably one per week. Uh, if you have any one that you want to hear on the show, send us a message to at High Motor Pod. We'll try to get them. Uh, you know, even as a football show here, we're going to do tons of March Madness stuff over the next seven or eight weeks or so. This is High Motor by Bet MGM. I saw a friend today. It had been a while, and we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside. The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between